0: About two years ago, I started noticing more readily uh, that my eyesight was fading. And I've told you the story. I went in while I was at a conference in the Philippines and got my eyes checked. And she said, why haven't you been wearing glasses? I said, because I have good vision. No, you don't. (laughs) You have okay vision, but you need glasses. And so I began to wear glasses. And I've discovered after about two years of giving it my best shot because I do not like to wear glasses, that something else has happened, that I need to have regular checkups. I need to check on my vision because I'm getting older and my eyes apparently are aging faster than other parts of me. And so there's a need for me to check in and see how I'm doing. Our Am I preparing for things like bifocals? Oh, Lord, please no. Uh, Am I getting ready for a stronger prescription and thicker lenses? You know, could LASIK fix me? You know, all those questions come around and right now it's just, I I need them to help me read and to see my Bible. But you get that. We need to check in and see how we're doing. As a church, it's, it's hard to measure how we do. But we have these, cues that that help us consider who we are as a church and what our our targets are in in the emic in the epic sense the emic is the big picture sense that's what our vision is that's who we are as our church and i'm going to say it with you and then later on there's going to be a quiz and i'm going to hope you can remember it it goes like this aic will be a church that glorifies god by loving christ loving one another and reaching the world That is the vision of who we see us being. That is who we feel God is calling us to be. First and foremost, we're going to honor him in all we do. Second, we're going to do that by growing as disciples. Third, as we grow, we're going to grow in love for each other. And fourth, as we grow in love for each other, we're going to reach out and meet the needs of the world, both physical, spiritual, and in every other sense of the word. That's who we are. And then we're going to repeat the process. We started this morning with Psalm 63 that says, I have seen you in your sanctuary. I, David will say later, I have made the Lord my dwelling. Psalm 27 talks about the one thing I seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, the interesting thing there is when David refers to the tabernacle because he hadn't gotten the chance to build the temple, that would be Solomon's job. But when David did these things, they were done in community. Worship, the glory of God, was done with his brothers and sisters, even he as a king. And so when we as a church take a vision test, we need to do it together. We need to start personally. And then as we consider, well, how are we going to carry that out? How are we going to equip the body? That's the mission. That's the epic. How are we going to do this together? we'll have our marching orders. But first, we look at who are we individually and how are we walking on that journey together. And I've been praying all summer, well, how do I communicate this so you're not hearing me say the same thing again that I say every time around this year? And so I don't wanna speak a lot. I wanna point to the scriptures. Psalm 63, you've already heard. And I'm gonna read a rather long passage to you this morning that kind of gives the church some pretty powerful marching orders for how we exist in this world. I want to tell you up front, they're not the easiest of words to hear because they can strike a chord in our hearts in a variety of settings. But that's what's amazing about God's word. It was meant to be read together. It was meant to be read not just proof texting where you pick out one verse that says what you want it to and move on. But as we look at the unit, we grasp, wow, this is a big, mighty picture of a big, mighty God. And when Paul wrote Romans, he didn't stop and put chapter and verse. That didn't come till much, much later on, until the 14 and 1500s. So when Paul was writing this letter, he'd given us this big doxology in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To God be the glory. Now, I'm going to write as big as the book. Board will let me, and I'll add to this as we move on. To God be the glory for how long? Forever and ever. Amen. I want us to start there for a very important reason. And I've been saying it a lot lately to myself and to us as a family. What is right in front of you is not the only life you are building. We are working toward kingdom living, which lasts for eternity. So when we talk about seeking the glory of God, that stretches farther than the five minutes right in front of us, than the crisis that seems to be dragging on for so long, but really is but for a breath. We are seeking to honor God that when Christ returns and he looks down at us, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hang out with me for eternity. It's just getting started. Our lives have been wired for eternity. But even inside the church, we've lost sight of that and get very caught up in what's wrong with each other, with ourselves, and with our world right now. And so Paul doesn't stop there. In fact, as Paul is wanting to do, he kind of goes on a run on paragraph. The English Bible has separated it into a bunch of paragraphs, but it's really one thought. And later on, a a team decided that Romans 12 should be divided here. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I'm not going to put it on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you or a digital device that you can read the Bible, no problem. I'm going to read the whole thing and I'm going to do it on purpose because I want you to get the scope of what Paul is inviting the church, Jew and Gentile, into. Who he is saying we can be and this is how we can interact with our world. This is the word of God. And I want us to start there as we take a vision check of ourselves and then we'll ask some questions as we move through it. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as we do this, that glorifies God and we go back to the end of 11. Then he moves on. So you can take a breath. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. Oh, here we go. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Then again, he pauses, or we pause today. And he frames it why because love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good and do this in community be devoted to one another in love back to the humility honor each other honor one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal and paul certainly was never lacking in zeal I have considered all things but lost, but for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. That was his life. Be, here you go. You ready for this? But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Some of your Bibles will say suffering. Faithful in prayer. 90 days of prayer. Let's just get warmed up. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Then he digs the knife in a little deeper. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Underline that because I want to tell you what it means in a bit. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord, these are your words. This is a a compelling vision for how the life, how the church can live in a broken world. And it's, Not always easy, we affirm that. But God, today, as as we ask ourselves some questions, clarify our vision, please. That we may see where you're taking us. That we may bask and revel in your glory in all situations. That we may grow so greatly in love for you that you are the one thing we crave for in any situation. That as we grow to be like your Son, We love each other even if we don't think they deserve it. And as we love, as you have loved us, we reach out and meet the needs of a world around us that's hungering and thirsting for something they don't even know they need. And we invite them back into your glory for all eternity. Lord, may our vision be clear. Give us your lenses to see the world we find ourselves. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, if we talk about the glory of God, we cannot help but start with the idea of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I can't ask us to function corporately as disciples of all nations if we don't have personal relationships with God that are real, that are growing that go through ups and downs, but always go back to him. It was like on the Jericho Road song said that Christ invites us to come to him. Seek him first in everything, and all these things will be added to you. He says, it's with me. And then he even adds that, abide, live in me. And we're going to talk about that as we grow as disciples. But the psalmist David said it like this. I have, didn't come up, sorry. And I apologize, we're trying to get the other projector fixed, so if you can't see, trust me, um, and I'll put these verses on the screen uh, in the podcast later on. But I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. I want to stop right there. And I want to ask how true that is for most of us. In our private times of worship, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, this is your spiritual act of worship, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That starts with ourselves, our bodies. Have we seen God in his sanctuary? Have we enjoyed his presence is the word I want to ask about. Because when you experience, and I am a messy writer, you can tell I'm not a teacher anymore, that's getting really bad. I'll try to fix that. Have you noticed that even if it's been for but a moment or two in the mornings, if you've spent time to start your day, even with a simple prayer, oh God, you are mighty. You will give me all I need to get through this day and to honor you. That it changes your perspective Have you noticed that as you read Christian biographies, these spiritual giants weren't as big of a giant as we thought? They just knew how to go to God first and enjoy his presence in any situation to where they depended on him. I talk a lot about Hudson Taylor because he's one of my heroes. But he wrote that he didn't get up at four in the morning to pray because he wanted to. He couldn't get through the rest of the day if he didn't start with the Lord. Mueller said the same thing. If I haven't been prayed and worded up, I'm not ready. That's Mike's translation of what uh, an Englishman had to say. But if I haven't started, if I haven't sought the Lord first, I got to go back and start there. So for us as a church that wants to glorify God... How are we doing? You want to glorify God? What do we do? I'm used to looking at this screen. We abide in him. What does it mean to abide? Well, when you go to bed tonight, most likely you have a roof of some sort over your head. There might be 80 floors above you, but there is still a ceiling. There is a domicile, a habitat, a place that you call home. Jesus invited through the story of what we call the prodigal son or the two lost sons is the way I like to call it. He says, come home. Come back to me. Live in me. John tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us that in the same way, then we are to abide in him and find our life in Christ Jesus and to bring glory to God the Father who is in heaven. And we do this as we learn to love and live the word. We live here. We live by depending on God, by seeking him in prayer. Why is it so important for us to be dependent on the Lord in prayer? Because as the Holy Spirit prays with us, what we talked about the last couple weeks, Our eyes are opened to the truth that we find in the scriptures like never before. And that we see him already working all around us. And we enjoy, even if obstacles come, we know that we are walking with the Lord and his presence is with us. Theology 101 teaches us the three omnis of God, right? Right? Some of you had to learn this in some class, somewhere, sometime. And you always start with the omniscience of God, or at least I was always taught that one first. God knows what? Everything. Do we? No. So first, prayer point number one, if God knows everything and we don't, who do we start by asking for help? God. Because we can't handle it. We're not good enough. He knows better. Do we believe that his presence knows better than us? It's back to that question. Then as we move on, we get to the omnipotence. Do we believe his promises are true? That he truly is all powerful? That he can do anything. And that therefore I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God and the Father and the God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working and inviting us into a vibrant relationship, experiencing His presence, His fellowship in all circumstances. Then the next one is the one I want to camp out on, omnipresence. Is there anywhere we can go where God is not? No, but we sure act like it. And we do it in a variety of ways. We do it in, in, in the wonderful way of being human and forgetting. We just get about the business of our day and forget to pause and give God credit. Uh, I think I've told this story before, but a a spiritual giant in my life was a man named Ben Bradshaw. One, he was a giant. He was like 6'4", which was huge to me. Two, he was the best tennis player I ever had coach me. He'd played professionally in, in different countries. And three, he loved Jesus like there was no tomorrow. As great as he was at tennis, as much as that had made him successful and all these things, it mattered nothing compared to his relationship with the Lord. And he said, Mike, you have a hard time with focus, which I do, still do. And he said, I used to have that too. And he said, you want to know something? When I get upset or when I lose focus, I realized that I needed to remind myself of where my affection, where my hope lies and who is my helper. I can't, play better just because I want to. And it's not about tennis. He was giving me a life lesson in, 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 the, in the vein of fixing a, a tennis stroke. And he said, Mike, I want you to learn how to focus in every area of your life. And he said, do you know how many points you play in an average tennis match? And I did the math in my head and I figured it out. He said, did you know in between every single point I play, every time I set foot on the court, I say one sentence, God help me to glorify you and how I use my abilities today. Every single point he played, for as long as he could remember, one sentence, help me to glorify you in how I play. And that was just a game. But what do you think? That he just made it for the game? Or that it lived out in every area of his life? Because he was also a substitute teacher. And I saw him before every class period. You know what I saw him doing? He was mouthing the prayer, especially with some of my classes. Not me, but I had some friends that, you know, they were troubling The point was, Lord, help me to live in your presence and glorify you all the time because you're always with me. There's nowhere I can't find you. But the second thing we do, we forget and then we don't also look for him. Do we look for the Lord or do we go to him after the problems have arisen? Sometimes we can't predict. We can't know how things are going to go. But do we seek him first in all situations? David continued to write in Psalm, uh, Psalm 63. He said, on my bed, I remember you. Again, this idea of remembering that God is always with us. Then he says, I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Who do we go to first? We enjoy the presence of the Lord, knowing he is with us. Not only is he with us, he is our shepherd. He is lifting us up. Whatever man may do to us, God is bigger. But to grasp that, it starts with us going to him and saying, Oh Lord, I need you. Your glory is so great that you can handle my life and I will trust you and I offer my life as a living sacrifice. Now we're back to Romans 12, holy and pleasing to you. A life spent enjoying the presence of God challenges us to think about how we interact with God, how we interact with one another and how we look at the world and our role in it because Paul reminds us, don't conform to the patterns of the world. The world wants us as a church to do all sorts of things, but we're called to do specific things, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How does the Holy Spirit renew our minds? By teaching us as we read his word. If you go through the scriptures, Time and again, people were teaching and Paul was exhorting people to teach the word in season and out of season, proclaim, preach actually was the word they used, kerygma, kerygmata. And as they did so to help people apply it to every situation in their lives. Why is preaching important both here and how you talk to one another? Because God's word is always valuable but we may not know that at the time if we're not enjoying his presence. But when we start with the presence of God, when we start with, even as we read the word, before you get in, you know, sometimes we just open the Bible because we know we should and we just open it, we read a few verses and we're like, good, had my devotions today. What if we paused? We took a moment. I'm a deep breath guy. What if we took a deep breath? And said, Holy Spirit, teach me as I read your word. Renew my mind as you speak, as you've spoken to generations before. And help me to listen to you. And as I do that, I'm going to meditate on you. And I'm going to trust and obey What you've had to say, because the core of loving Christ is that idea of believing he is who he says he is. That's trust or faith. And the second part is, how will they know that we love him if we obey his commands? I'm not trying to give you something that's not there. I'm trying to remind us of a vision test that's been with us from the very beginning of the church. That we are called to be a people that trusts the Word of God and obeys it, even if it's inconvenient. Will we do that? Are we willing to? Because as we do, we grow in love for Christ because we see that He is already at work. He's already guiding us and directing us and through the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us power we didn't even know we had to change. Mike, you don't understand. This is how I am or who I am. That's right. But as we grow in Christ, we become fuller of him, which fills us with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. What does that do? As we depend on the Lord, as we go to him and enjoy his presence, and as we learn to love Christ and to trust and obey him in all situations, it gives us eyes to see the world in a different way. It gives us a love that is... Acting out of love because of who God is, not out of mandate. Which comes first, obedience or presence? Presence comes first. God comes first. And as we enjoy Him out of thankfulness, we say, Of course, I want to obey you. Your ways are the best. You are worthy of my trust. He's the only one. God is the only person in history, that's worthy of our trust. Everyone else will let us down. Now, all of you, I have no doubt, are trustworthy people. But unintentionally, there's probably been a time where you've let someone down. And I'm going to come back to that when we get to the next one because how we deal with being let down in the church is a big part of how we show ourselves to the world. But right now, we know that God will not let us down. He may confuse us. I'm not going to lie to you. We thought, Melissa and I just recently thought we were making a really wise decision. We prayed about it. We thought we did everything right. We had the thing checked out. It was all about the purchase of a car. There was just one problem. The person that had sold us to it wasn't allowed to sell the car for whatever reason. And so we didn't know. And so I don't know what lesson God has for us, but I do know this, that he's got this. That as I've learned to just spend time in his presence, I'm not worried about something like a stupid car. That's easy for God. It's not a big deal. But I will trust him even if I don't understand exactly how he's going to put the pieces together. But I can rejoice knowing that he's not surprised. He's not shocked that that happened. In fact, I think the question he posed to me was, are you going to come to me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to let me surprise you with how we're going to work this out? Absolutely. Okay? Then Paul, then Paul shifts his focus. He's talked about the glory of the Lord. We've seen that it is our mandate to trust and obey Jesus Christ. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And by this, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those are the two big statements Jesus made regarding how to prove our love. Now, it's not about proving our love. We are loved by God regardless because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Don't misunderstand me. But Jesus made these two bold statements about discipleship. He also said, you cannot follow him if we don't take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. But he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And by this, the world will know you're my disciples. You will love one another. Paul adds to that, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Here you go. Be devoted to one another in love, in agape love, by the way. So what's that mean? Years ago, early on in my church ministry, Uh, I was a pastor in Alabama. That's in the southern United States. And I I hung out with a guy and uh, we did some things together. And I I had invited him to our church just to come check it out. And he's like, you know what? People go there? And I'm like, yeah. He said, Christians are the meanest people I know. And they just don't like each other. Why would I want to go there? And I had to look at him and I'd say, well, we're trying to, change that trend. I couldn't say you're wrong. We've got 2,000 years of history of being the church that says we're really good at pointing out each other's faults, aren't we? So what do you do? You go back to the scripture, because you know what? Mike has faults. Don't put your faith in me. I am going to do my best to point you toward Jesus Christ, but I'll make mistakes. But his word never fails us. And so what does his word says say? Don't trust me as an English teacher. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. It doesn't give a precursor there of when you're allowed to do that. The tense here means all the time. All the time we are supposed to look at the people we're sitting next to in the aisle And in the words of a famous beer commercial, say, I love you, man. And we're going to figure this out together, even if we don't agree. Because for 2,000 years, there's been all sorts of things the church has disagreed about. And there are many things that are minor that we can disagree about. But Paul, just a few chapters before, gave us the essential that we are not able to disagree about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is risen from the grave, you will be saved. And as a body of believers, you've been adopted into this, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and you are supposed to live as brothers and sisters co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So get along, because you're family. That's what Paul says we are to do. He pushes that time and time again. Read the Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians. Why can't we just get along? Why does he commend the church in Philippi? Because of their partnership in the gospel, their unified mission of exalting the Lord joyfully. Paul knows unity is so important to how we shine as light in the world. So as we love one another... I'm trying to write neater, and it's only making it worse. As we love one another, what do we do? We rejoice with those who rejoice. If you read the newsletter this last night, you heard that uh, Erda, who's in our church, was able to see her mom come to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Forgot to light the candle. We'll do that next week. And as we celebrate that, we rejoice together, right? That is not at all convincing. (laughs) Somebody just was rescued from the depths of hell, from death and sin, and brought into eternal life for all time? Is that not amazing? Eh. Read your Bibles some more. You'll see that it is so amazing that all of the angels rejoice that Erida's mom came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Makes me want to do a little dance. I'm not going to. But as we love one another, what happens? Harmony happens. Harmony is different from everybody being the same. I am not a musician. My family reminds me that every day because they all are, and I am not. But we heard a quartet up here. They are not the same, not from the same country, not from the same styles of music, probably. I don't know their backgrounds, but here's what I do know, that they didn't all sing the same thing in the song because they all sounded different. But it made one beautiful sound, didn't it? But Mike, I thought harmony meant we're all supposed to just do everything the same exact way. Like when I tell somebody about Jesus, I have to follow these four laws or else they can't come to know Jesus. Nah. When it comes to working together as the body of believers, harmony means just what Paul said next. Know how God has created you. Know the gifts by grace he has given you and use them. What's our job as a church? We're going to talk about this next week, but how do we equip and prepare you to use your gifts, not just in here so we become incestuous? I know that's a strong word, but it happens a lot in church where we only care for ourselves, but so that we care for the world right outside our doors. Because some of you have such miraculous gifts that can be used by God with your next door neighbor if they just knew you cared. Some of you already do that, and we need to give you more resources to do it more. We need to help you. But as we love one another, we get to value the fact that God made us differently. And we get to be excited about the journey we're on together. What do I mean? Because it is a journey. We're not there yet. We don't know how all the pieces of church life are going to fit together for us. We're waiting for the new school to be built and hope that we can move there while also leaving a church plant here. But those pieces have yet to be fully clarified. That's why you're not hearing much because I don't know what to tell you. So sorry about that. We're working on it. When I know, you'll know, I promise. But we're also being patient. But as we do, we look at the road and we say we know there's one target that we're to go to. The glory of God enjoying his presence and inviting others into that. And we'll get to that one in just a moment. But as we do, we may not always see everything the road's gonna throw at us. On Friday, uh, one of our college students that was a former youth group member of, uh, of mine when I was a youth pastor, uh, wanted to go hiking one more time before he flew back to Canada. And so we decided to go with he and his cousin. And I was so excited. We're doing one of my favorite hikes to the cliffs down along Saiwan and Tai Long Wan. Uh, it's just this beautiful hike And it's not too hard. It's pretty short. And it was like 34 uh, on Friday. It was so hot. Well, when we get into the taxi to ask him to take us to where the trail should begin, he said, oh, the road's closed. And we're like, I misunderstood because I, I don't speak Chinese. And his English was perfect, actually. I just thought he was telling me that you have to walk. I can't drive you all the way to the village. So, and I already knew that. No, the road was closed six kilometers ahead of where the trailhead is. So he drives us because we say, okay, he drives us two kilometers to where the road is closed. <laughs> and then he says, here you go. And Ryan and Caleb and I look at each other and I'm like, well, we can do this hike. We could hike back to my house. We could go here, here, here. And we just decided, you know what? We know what's at the end. So let's go for it. And we did. And we never knew if it was around the next corner that we would get to the trailhead so we could actually start hiking. But we knew at the end we would end up at these beautiful cliffs, this beautiful freshwater vision of paradise that I think is one of the greatest scenes in all of Hong Kong. Leave it alone. Don't go there. It's just mine. No, it's not the place. But we knew where we were going. We had a long-term perspective and we were going to follow that. In Christ, when we love each other, we might be willing finally to see that God took a huge risk on me and gave me new life and forgave me and brought me into his family, even though I didn't deserve it. So maybe that person that has deeply offended me, I can give them the same grace they've given me. And maybe I can even ask them to be involved in using the skill set they have to help us grow together. So many of you get asked by me all the time to help and you're so patient. You know why I ask you for help? Because you know stuff I don't. And because you've been gifted in ways I'm not. That's what we're supposed to do. We're enjoying harmony in our differences together, knowing that we're moving back to the glory of God together. Paul doesn't stop there. One more big one and we'll finish. This one doesn't take long because it's pretty obvious. If your enemy's hungry feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Most of us interpret this to be, yeah, punish them, rub salt in their wound, make them hurt for being mean. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not quite what it means. It means that by your kindness and by your love, they might come under the judgment of God himself and be drawn to repentance, that the fire of the Lord comes on them in such a way that they can't help but confess. And I know that's a lot less fun than making them suffer by rubbing coals on their heads. But you rub coals on their heads so that that our kindness leads us to repentance. Our kindness shows broken people in Christ and out of Christ that there's a better way to live. So how do we do it? How do we reach the world? Will we be revolutionary? I'm just going to write world for the sake of time. Revolt. What do I mean by revolt? That sounds like such a militaristic mean term. And it's not. In this case, the greatest revolution ever was the love of Jesus Christ coming down, making himself a man and living among us and giving his life as a ransom for many. And then through the Apostle Paul saying, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it keeps no record of wrongs. I've lost track in my head of where I am. You get the idea. 1 Corinthians 13 tells you the rest. And as we do those things, the world sees that love is not self-seeking. So when you go to work on a Monday, which I know, I'm sorry, Mondays are tough. When you go into work on Monday... And your arch nemesis sits there and looks at you, and you're just like, be revolutionary. Love them. Be kind to them. Not because they deserve it, because they probably don't. But neither did we. And God's love was poured out among us. So we give it away. You take care of your adversary. You know that person that just, you know they're wrong take it. I'm not sorry to say that, but so often we want to fight back when what that person really needs is someone to love them and let the Holy Spirit get a hold of their heart and soften them. Have you ever tried to soften someone's heart on your own? You guys ever tried that? You've tried to fix people yourself? Let's, let's go ahead and take a quick poll. Has it ever worked? <laughs> All I've seen, especially husbands and wives, they're looking at each other. No, it never, ever, ever works. That is why God is omnipotent, why his Holy Spirit is at work constantly, because he knows what we need and he knows what they need and he's got a perspective that's bigger than ours. But we can help fan his flame by being kind to one another and being kind to our world in seeking to meet their needs however we can. Ladies and gentlemen, that's revolutionary. It doesn't make sense, and it's not what you're told to do anymore. We're told that the lines of morals are not black and white anymore. Everybody does their own thing, and I'm saying no. I'm saying do the right thing. That is revolutionary. Care for those. I read an interesting devotional Yesterday, it was talking, I'm studying the Ten Commandments because we might do a series on them in the spring. And as the man was writing, he was talking about do not steal. And he said, what if I told you we were all thieves? Great way to start and make me want to keep reading. It did not. He said, because remember in the Old Testament, when somebody owned land, they didn't ultimately own the land. Whose land was it? It was the Lord's. And so if they harvested, they were supposed to leave some for the orphans, the widows, and the immigrants. And as they did that, society would be cared for. If, however, they harvested all the way up to the end of their land, they were stealing from God, from the orphans, from the widows, and from the immigrants, because they were keeping it all for themselves. What if we're stealing by keeping all of God for ourselves? What if we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that we don't say anything and we're not willing to be kind to those that don't deserve it? What if our vision is skewed to where we don't want to let our deeds demonstrate our love? Well, it's the great thing about God's word. We repent and we start over. If we confess, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now I want to show you one more thing and how this works. You see, our love always starts vertically. Everything we do at Alliance International Church must start with the Lord. So if I, in my preaching style, am not meeting your needs, I will ask you a question, well, how's your devotional life going? And I'll do my best to help you grow as a disciple of Christ. But I want to ask you how I can help you point to him, not to whether you like certain things. I have a lot to learn as a preacher, I promise you. And I will keep trying to learn. But as we learn, we hopefully point each other to the glory of God so that when we deal with things, we realize that we're gathering together to grow in light. And as we grow in enjoying his presence, we move to this love of Christ that teaches us how to live even in an unfair world, because Christ already lived and died and rose again victoriously so that we might have life. And as we gain that perspective, that obedience that comes from knowing his great love and enjoying his presence, the shorter catechism said the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. I want to enjoy the Lord. And as I enjoy him, I'm going to want to hang out and meditate with on him and learn from him. And that's going to cause me to want to love you more. And it's going to cause you to want to love each other more. And as we love each other more, we cannot help but care deeply about the world around us instead of just thinking that's somebody else's problem. And what happens is we love the world around us. We invite people back into the fold. We invite people back into the family and and invite them to enjoy the presence of the Lord. This, ladies and gentlemen, is an ongoing process that never stops. We continue to seek God's glory in all things. And as we do, you'll never stop growing to be more like Jesus. I hope you don't stop. And as we grow to be more like Jesus, our love, if you've been married a long time, you're going to probably be willing to tell me that it hasn't always been easy, but you're also going to be able to say that you love your spouse in ways you never knew possible before. Or if you've been part of a family, the love you had at six isn't the same that you have now. Right? You've grown in love. And as we care for one another, we invite them in and we grow in love for one another and love for our world. So how's our vision as a church? Are we enjoying the presence of God? If we enjoy his presence, will we trust and obey him? And out of that obedience, will we love one another like we've never loved before? And as we love, will we look around to the people that we, I'm going to say it, can't stand? And will we chase them with the love of Christ? Not throw a Bible at them. Anybody can do that. But if they're thirsty, give them a drink. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're mourning, we mourn with them. If they're rejoicing, we're at the top of the list saying, well done, you cheated all the way to that promotion, but we're going to celebrate with you. Sometimes that happens. We're not going to honor their sin. No, don't misunderstand me. But we're not going to say it's not fair and try to criticize and insult. We're going to try to walk with them and let the Holy Spirit convict them of their sin. And we're never going to minimize sin. That's how Paul starts this. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. May we be that kind of church. May we live in harmony one with another. May we enjoy his presence. May we depend on him through trust and obedience. And may the world see us living revolutionary lives that point people back to his glory. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that the vision you've given isn't Mike's words, it's your words. Help us to live it out each day of our lives. Amen.